Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, bad weekend to be a 21st century streak in the SEC. And bad weekend to be facing Alabama and Georgia as the top 15 team. Absolutely. That's to get to. Man, really, really rough for Arkansas and Ole Miss to just kind of see what it looks like to be elite. We're, we're going to get to all of that, but I'm actually going to save Alabama and Georgia dominating for a little bit later because, hey, it's not every day that we get to talk about a pair of streaks that dated back to the 20th century that came to an end on what turned out to be a much more wild Saturday than what it initially looked like. So Saturday, you and I, we, we actually got to watch a little bit of football together because you were down in my neck of the woods here in Orlando, peel behind the onion, Will lives in Atlanta, and we only record this on Zoom together. You are so dedicated to your craft that you are recording right now in a hotel room post-wedding before a seven-hour drive home. Will, you, my friend, are a legend. <laughs> well, thanks for reminding me of that comment. <laughs> no, man. Um, yeah, yesterday was actually kind of awesome, man. Got to hang out with you, one of my friends from down here. Um, it was like kind of this dead period before the wedding where we didn't have anything to do. So I was like, I know what's going on. Georgia, Arkansas. So yeah, it was a great time. We met up at a uh, New Zealand-themed bar. Uh, we posted a picture. It was super cool. But yeah, man, it was great catching up. It was awesome, and it was a great Saturday to just kind of sit back and, as we said, 13 hours of entertainment, and it did not disappoint, despite the fact that we had those two blowouts with the top 15 matchup. So we're going to get to all of that. We're going to get to every interesting storyline because there are a lot of big-picture things we need to get to. Didn't even mention A&M losing to Mississippi State in the opener, what that means for Jimbo. UConn Vandy, of course, we're going to get to as well. Everything in the SEC that happened on Saturday. But before we do all of that, Will, you know what I did before we met up on Saturday morning? Um, I I had some eggs. Did you get lost in the sauce? A little spinach. I did not get lost in the sauce, but I had healthy amounts of the sauce. And that sauce, of course, is Texas Pete. You know, it's the best It's the best thing to put in my eggs. I absolutely love it. You can put whatever, onion, spinach, mushrooms, avocado, whatever you got lying around. A t- little Texas Pete on top makes it all better. I wish they had some Texas Pete Kiwis, the bar that we went to. That would have been, I think we need to introduce the, the New Zealand folk to some Texas Pete. That's what's, uh, what's missing. That, that would have made the experience even better. This, my friend, is the perfect time of year to load up on Texas Pete, not only because it's football season, but also because right now, for our listeners, you can go to texaspeat.com, get recipes, t-shirts, hats, hot sauces by the box. If you do that, you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code Saturday Down South. That is all one word, Saturday Down South. That's all you got to do. TexasPete.com, Saturday Down South. Put that promo code in. Sauce like you mean it. I was debating what I wanted to lead with here. And look, you can, go, you can make the case for a, a lot of different games. But let's lead with Kentucky taking down Florida. Because for the first time since 1986, Kentucky did not find a way to blow it at home. Kentucky beats Florida in Lexington. I kept thinking that Kentucky was going to blow it. Even when Kentucky went up 10 in the fourth quarter, we're like, all right, they're going to find a way. Jacob Copeland, maybe if he doesn't slip on that little screen pass when Florida's in the red zone, maybe if Jacquez Jones doesn't tip that pass on the very last throw by Emory Jones, maybe if Dan Mullen gives Anthony Richardson another touch more than the six that he had. Nope, did not happen. Not this time. Kroger Field looked incredible. The atmosphere looked like a blast. My brother and sister-in-law were there with their family, and 
They they said it was just it, it was second to none. Waka Flocka, he was there. Fuck. And your boy, right? He was in the end zone, and they would play one of his songs, and then they would just show him in the end zone, and he would start dancing, and it was electric. I mean, <laughs> Matt Jones, KSR, shout out KSR, said it was the the best atmosphere that he had ever seen for a Kentucky football game, and that that is saying something. I'm so happy for my Kentucky people who had been waiting for something like that at home. Because think back to 2018. They wanted the Swamp for the first time since 1979, but they didn't get that unbelievable moment at home, right? They had really nice wins at home. And like, you know, the Mississippi State win was fun, but beating a top 10 team is just different. And Kentucky, up until last night, had not done that since 2010. Had lost 15 consecutive games to AP top 10 teams. Mark Stoops had never beat a top 10 team. That was the very first time, and I know Florida suffered that second loss, so maybe that, that win isn't going to age particularly well. That did not matter on Saturday night. When you have lost 33 of 34 games to one team, buddy, you don't complain about what happens with that win later on. Kentucky is 5-0. and Mark Stoops is now tied with Sam Pittman, in my eyes, for SEC Coach of the Year. That, that race is, is wide open. Stoops... I, I would argue we outcoach Mullen, and we're going to get to Mullen disagreeing with that in a minute here. But I thought Kentucky was really ready for that Florida Grand Tech. Don't worry, Will. I'm going to give you a chance to, to tee off on, on Mullen because I know you've been chomping at the bit on this. But with that atmosphere, Florida had all of these false starts. And I, at one point, I tweeted, Florida man commits false start penalty <laughs> because every single time, every single time, it felt like there was a pressure situation. That Kentucky crowd rose to the occasion, and they made life hell on that offensive line. 15 penalties, the most that Florida has had in the Dan Mullen era. That's not going to get it done on the road. That's not going to get it done on the road against a good team. And you have to wonder, kind of, was that just the product of playing on the road for the first time this year? And don't don't tell me that USF is is a true road atmosphere. That's just not. With all due respect to the the great city of of of, of Tampa Bay, title <laughs> town, as many people are calling it these days, uh, that was not a road game. This was a road game. Communication was terrible. I thought Emory's interception was bad, and it was a great read by JJ Weaver. I don't want to take anything away from that, but isn't that the exact thing that we've looked at Emory the last the last you know four weeks, I guess now, into the season and said, those are the types of throws you don't want to making. Mm-hmm. Kind of late read, over the middle, where he's got to go through his progressions. I, I didn't like that. Florida also had eight chances to score within the 10 and could it, couldn't get it done at the end there. You just can't have that. That's not going to win, win you a game on the road against a team that was as disciplined as Kentucky was. And we've criticized Kentucky's discipline and the turnover margin being not, minus nine in that area. And still being 4-0 was a miraculous achievement. And Kentucky fans knew that. Mullen was asked in the postgame if he thought he was outcoached by Stoops. Mullen's response, and this is courtesy of uh, Nick De La Torre. Mullen said, no, 382 yards. I guess that's sputtering. We had 382, and they had 211. Hang the banner, Connor. Hang the banner. They had 382 yards. I'm so pumped for them. It's worth noting <laughs> that Dan Mullen was very quickly taken away from Florida's media relations staff after this one. Was, this was not a long post-game presser from, according to the media who was, who was there, who, who witnessed this. And you just can't help but, help but wonder why Dan Mullen in that spot, defensive Dan Mullen, 
was taken away. And look, coaches get frustrated after losses, of course. Mullen does it in a different sort of way, in a way that he gets more defensive than most. There's not that same sort of accountability. And the tough part about this one isn't just that you lose to Kentucky. It, which I know a lot of people are throwing this out there. Matt Hayes tweeted about this. For all the people who say like, oh, it's such a bad look for Mullen to, to lose to Kentucky second time in four years. No Florida coach has done that. No Florida coach has also had to face during that stretch a coach at Kentucky that has things kind of figured out like Mark Stoops. So that's that's part of it. This this says a lot about where Kentucky is. So if, if there's one thing that I'll defend Mullen on, it, it's that, all right? Like this isn't fa- facing Joker Phillips anymore with the Kentucky football program. It's just not. The tough part though, there are a few tough parts. You can't one even put this one on Grantham. Yeah, right, right. You can't even put this on Grantham too because Florida's defense actually played pretty well. And without Kyrie Elam, Kentucky's passing game didn't do much of anything. Will Levis, who is now putting mayo in his coffee, friend of the show, did not decide to do the, the onion thing. Yeah, that went viral on Friday. He's, he's dumping mayo into his coffee. That's, that's a new he thing. He needs to that's be still get ready he's, He needs to relax, first off. No matter how good he is at football, if he becomes Joe Burrow, we just get him away from the mic with the food takes. It was an interesting move. Of course, it went viral. Of course, everybody heard about it in Lexington, I'm sure, by now. By the time we're recording this on Sunday morning, everybody in Kentucky has already had their morning cup of coffee with some mayo because when Will Levis does it, that's just kind of what you do. You just roll with it. Will Levis wasn't even particularly good. He got half of his yards on this little bubble screen to Wandale, and Wandale took it to the house. And it was a, a reminder of just what he can do. Um, <laughs> number one on Kentucky took it to the house. I think that you would look at that defensive performance and you would say, look, you did a lot of things right if you're Florida. You held C-Rod to under 100 yards. You were in a, a spot to win. And now Mullen has to look and, and, and point the finger back at himself, which he's not been particularly good at, and says, wow, I, I, I lost a game that was very winnable despite the total yards advantage. And this number, um, again, from Nick De La Torre, yikes. Mullen and Will, you you said you texted this to me. Mullen at Florida is now 0-2 against Saban, 0-1 against Jimbo, 1-2 against Kirby, 2-2 against Stoops, 1-2 against Ed Otron. Those are probably the five best coaches in the SEC. Um, and you know, if you want to throw Mullen in there, all right, whatever, that's fine. But to be a combined four and nine against those coaches while you're at Florida, we're not including any Mississippi State stuff. That's that, that's in the past. Florida fans have an interesting couple months ahead because this is the first time in the Mullen era that Florida has suffered that second loss this early in the season. They've gone into that cocktail party with chances to be able to win the division still. And that's been on the table. It's going to be interesting because Florida's defense has actually looked pretty good. And you can't really just automatically throw Grantham under the bus and say Mullen's got to make a, a firing. But... Mullen has major question to answer moving forward, and he's going to be facing a whole lot of criticism. Will, what did Saturday tell you about Dan Mullen? Nothing. Told me absolutely nothing about Dan Mullen, because Dan Mullen has been the exact same coach his entire coaching career. He has been this coach at Mississippi State. He has been this coach at Florida. People have written all kinds of flowery stories about how he's a different coach at Florida. You heard the numbers. It's just not the case. Um, (laughs) Andrew Spivey had a tweet. It said, Mark Stoops dominated Dan Mullen tonight, and that can rarely be said. For as good of a play caller as Mullen is against good teams, his play calling against bad teams has been bad. 
So let me tell you why that's not true. <laughs> Dan Mullen has made an entire career out of beating bad teams. So if you're Dan Mullen, you have to beat every bad team on your schedule so that you can spend another year lying to your fan base that you can then that next year beat a good team. The reason why this Kentucky loss is particularly bad is because you already have your moral victory. You already have your quality loss against Alabama. You already have your thing that you said, look, I'm 0-12 against Alabama, but this time we played them really close. Last time we played them really close. <laughs> Maybe next time we'll beat them. Don't think next time is coming. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Every year of this, experience, of this experiment, there's been a moment where fans have been able to hope that Dan Mullen is going to wake up and be accountable. <laughs> and I just don't think it's going to happen. That quote that you gave me is so perfect for everything that we've seen of Dan Mullen since the beginning. And I think it's why he is the coach with the hardest ceiling in the SEC. You look across the aisle, you see Kirby Smart destroying a top 10 Arkansas team. Oh, well, Arkansas is not very good. Neither is Kentucky. Um, I just, it is what it is, man. It just is what it is. I think Dan Mullen is a fine coach. I think that if you're a Florida fan, you need to ask yourself, and we'll talk about this exact same thing with LSU, friends. I understand LSU is in the exact oh, same boat. Oh, we're getting yep. <laughs> They're in the exact same boat. I'm not throwing rocks at glass houses. But you need to ask yourself, what is Florida as a program? Are they on the level of Georgia and Alabama? You know, because Dan Mullen's not. And that's it. I'm just, this is a year that we talked about was supposed to be rebuilding year from the beginning. Then we got tricked into this... Always, you know, got tricked into the moral victory. And then it's, oh, Florida's a top 10 team. I just never saw it with Emory Jones. Anthony Richardson's touches, as you talked about, I think are a problem. I think he finally has a dynamic athlete. And because he doesn't know how to recruit dynamic athletes, he doesn't know how to manage that. <laughs> Me and you talked about this. You know, at Florida with Urban Meyer, who is having just an incredible weekend, he had Yikes. to deal with, you know, he had to deal with a very colorful um, offensive room. He had to manage a lot of personalities, but that's all he had to do. He didn't really have to worry about, you know, false starts, clock management, the things that kind of fit him today. So I don't know. It's, it's, you know, you can look at Dan Mullen in certain games and think, wow, I could extrapolate this. We could use whatever property of math, property of osmosis you can to take this performance against a bad team and move it to a good team. But I don't know. I mean, you talked about it with a cocktail party, but if you have a loss, an SEC loss, I don't care if it's against Alabama, it's an SEC loss, that's what it is, and then you have a second SEC loss against Kentucky, um, you know, I, I, I like that you credit Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops is a great coach. That's not the standard at Florida. It doesn't matter if you are Jim McElwain. It doesn't matter if you are Will Muschamp. It doesn't matter if you are Ron Zook. You don't lose to Kentucky. So that's what I'm saying. If you're a Florida fan, if, this is, if you are fine with this, this is what you have. That's all I'm saying. He's fine. He's a good coach. He's not a bad coach. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Dan Mullen is a bad coach. This is where you're at. I don't want to take away from, from Kentucky necessarily because I, I think now you're looking at a 3-0 start to SEC play, 5-0 overall, and I could, you could say Kentucky has New Year's Six Bowl upside. I, I think they're clearly the second-best team in the division now after getting over that Florida hurdle. They're, they're, not, they're not on Georgia's level. They're just not. Kentucky fans will, will tell you that. But this, this is capable of being one of those years where they're like, hey, look, we're capable of doing bigger and better things, and we are truly raising the floor of the program. And I bring up the floor because I think it was Thomas Goldcamp who tweeted something to the effect of like, we've 
seeing Florida with Mullen be able to get to these points, and the question now is if we, we, we've seen his ceiling, have we seen his floor? Because this was expected to be a floor year, and how low is that floor? When you suffer that second loss, and you're all of a sudden realizing, crap, we're not playing for a division title. There is going to be some motivation questions. There is going to be a defensive Dan Mullen and Mullen against the world. I don't know. We saw it down the stretch last year. I didn't really like it. It wasn't particularly good in favor of Florida. So Kentucky, though, now going to be 3 0 in SEC play heading into the LSU game. And Which they should win handily. That bold and brash take where, where Kentucky is going to be 6 0. I don't know if we promised that guy I? we're going to. Or sorry, oh yeah, Kentucky's going to be 6 0. I don't know if we promised the guy we're going to have him on the podcast, but buddy, is it looking like that is. Take the over on that one, man. Was it. Was it Adam Stockton? I think it might have been Adam Stockton. Um, we need to go back go, because gonna... literally, like, I will be betting on Kentucky. <laughs> like... Right. I'm going to be in Lexington um, this upcoming weekend, so really looking forward to that. Um, excited to see the atmosphere and excited to see kind of some people there after what's just been a, a phenomenal start and, and a flawed start, but a 5-0 and and 3-0 and in SEC play when you're the program that has one winning season in SEC play in the last 40 years. You'll take that all day, every day. All right. Real quick, we talked about this. Sorry. Uh, we talked about this. You know, the issue with Kentucky was going to be turnover margin, execution. They play these ugly games. It was what style, what game script were they going to go with? Boy, was this a Mark Stoops game script. <laughs> it was. Defensive-minded. Josh Pascal was all over the place. I need to give that guy some love because mm-hmm. that blocked field goal, you know what that blocked field goal felt like? In a weird way, it kind of felt like Penn State against Ohio State go back to 2016, the the moment that that entire program turned around. And they get this miracle block field goal to win that game, and it fuels Penn State's run in the end of the season, and they go to the Big Ten Championship as a result. I'm not saying that Kentucky is going to an SEC Championship or anything like that, but that block field goal was massive because Kentucky's offense really had nothing going. And then to get a blocked field goal in that spot was the first moment of like, oh my God, maybe things are actually different. That's the type of play that usually happens for Florida, not for Kentucky. And for, mm-hmm. it was for Josh Pascal, who was just played out of his mind, and Jockus Jones, the, the Ole Miss transfer, the ultimate, I'm glad I called that guy moment when he makes that, yep. that deflection at the end of the game. Um, uh, that, those, are, those are the types of moments that Mark Stoops, that, that's what he wants his identity of this team to be. Make those plays in those spots and don't put it all in the ground game. Don't put it all in one, necess- like one specific area of the football. All right, Will, are you ready to talk Bo Nick's legacy game here? Absolutely. Okay, hand up. I owe Bo Nick's an apology. I absolutely do. Because I did not think he had that game in him. No way. I was dead, dead wrong on that. I gave Auburn no realistic chance to win. I said, is this going to really be the first Auburn team to win in Death Valley in the 21st century? Come on. Given all that they've been through, you fire your receivers coach. You've got a quarterback debate. It looks like Brian Harson's got to answer some weird questions. And don't you know it, all the turmoil, it did not matter. Bo Nix um, slash Johnny Manziel played out of his mind in that game. And relax, it, it, it was one game. Nobody's saying that Bo Nix is all of a sudden Johnny Manziel. But on that play, where he escaped six guys, at least. And I'm, I'm being conservative here. I'm saying there were six LSU defenders who had a clean shot on him. If you haven't seen the play, just search it on Twitter. It's, it's everywhere. I think it was number one on SportsCenter Top 10. Mm-hmm. One of the best plays I've ever seen a college quarterback make. 
Oh, it's got to be. I mean, depending on, you got to factor in the stakes, but I feel like it's got to be the play of the year if you just look at it in a vacuum. It, it was the type of play, I, and I've watched it probably 20, 25 times since it's happened, because I, I, I am baffled, one, that he was never brought down, and the fact that he was able to do it in such classic Bo Nix fashion at mm-hmm. first, where you're just like, oh, this is going absolutely nowhere, he's either throwing this away, this is going to be a sack, an interception, whatever, and then to turn it into, oh, wait a minute, he's not even just throwing the football away as he's going down at the last second. Jake Fromm's brother streaking into the end zone, and it was a perfect on-target throw. That was the turning point of the game because that's that's fourth and two with about four and a half minutes left in the second quarter. LSU was leading thirteen to nothing. Mm-hmm. After that, it felt like Auburn was winning the entire game, and really they didn't even take the lead until the very end. And to me, I looked at that 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 entire night that Bo Nix put together where he was just impossible to sack. And he didn't even care that TJ Finley came into that game. That was tough as hell. And I'm going to give Bo Nix his credit because that was a level that we have not seen from him. And don't don't tell me that playing at home against LSU last year, playing a road game against Arkansas when he was a true freshman. No, 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 no. That is the best football we have ever seen Bo Nix play. And for a guy who probably heard a whole lot of comments about how his time at Auburn was done this past week and mm-hmm. everybody's ready to move on from Bo Nix. And if you can't string it together against Georgia State, then what are we really doing here? We've seen Bo Nix on the road. What, why, why start him? Give TJ Finley a chance? No. Unbelievable. All of those Bo Nix road splits afterthought with how well he played in that atmosphere. LSU just couldn't get him behind the sticks. And... That was an adult, grown man performance in that moment. So let's give credit where credit's due as well. Auburn's defense played its tail off. I, I thought Keishon Butte was going to hit 300 yards after that start. Shoot, Max Johnson had 122 passing yards on the opening drive. That's a real stat. Because of the penalties, he was able to, to just work his way down the field. And he dropped that ball on a bucket to Butte uh, at the pylon. Beautiful throw. But instead, LSU can't hold on a lead. Because it can't run the football. Yep. Can't run the football. Auburn dropped nine into coverage at some points. They had two man rushes. LSU, 22 rushes for 52 yards. No run went longer than 11 yards. And it was bad. We saw Max Johnson really struggle at some key moments in that game because it's, it's just always on him to move the chains. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't ha- quite have that sixth sense yet with the pressure. And while I like that he keeps his eyes downfield and he's going to give you more chances than your average quarterback, man, I, I thought there were some tough moments for him in that one with all that was expected of him and all the all, all that, that LSU relies on him. It just was not the day that he, that he had hoped for. First time as a starter that he did not have three touchdown passes. But it's clear, LSU wins that game if it can tackle Bo Nix once maybe. And even if LSU was a mediocre ground game, it wins that football game. Will, was it good or bad to be at a wedding for that one? Yeah, I mean, I was honestly watching pretty much this whole game. I was camped out in the corner. <laughs> Not in the corner, but like both the, you know, congratulations <laughs> to the happy couple. They were both Auburn fans, so I pretty much told them like, hey, this kickoff is at nine. Like, I watched kind of the end of the Florida game and then also pretty much this whole game. And yeah, man, um, Bo Nix is just a walking billboard for leg day. Uh, <laughs> he is just, man, in those moments, I mean, first off, you could talk about how LSU's defense is kind of soft. Like, 
They had numerous, numerous, numerous chances to get him down, but he is just strong as an ox, bro. I mean, he just never says die. You, you can throw whatever at him. I felt like Coach O was about to run off the bench and just take him out because he probably has more sound, yeah. like, tackling fundamentals than most of LSU's defense. I think that losing Andre Anthony on defense was huge for LSU. I mean, that guy yeah. was a leader. He was, you know, one of the sack leaders in America. He... Obviously, set whatever tone the defense had. I don't know what that was after the UCLA game, but the first couple of games that started stringing together after that, it looked like they had kind of turned a corner, albeit against inferior foes. But, yeah, man, I mean, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. I'm going to say my calling card here. This is the worst LSU offensive line I've ever seen in my life. Um, you can't even say it wasn't in their game plan to run the football because they tried and failed at it. Uh, it was so disrespectful how Auburn was able to contain the ground game without even really trying to contain the ground game. And like you said about Max Johnson, I think he's taking so much blame. I think he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's great or anything. But he's in a position where his backup is 18. It's obvious as day that he's been told just to not run the ball ever. I mean, we, we were sold this Max Johnson ideal that he was going to be this dual threat guy who could, you know, move you the can't now, his legs. Though. What's up? You just can't run the football with him, with, with, with what's behind him at the quarterback position. You just you, you can't risk him getting hurt. If Max Johnson were to get hurt, yeah, think of what we'd be talking about with LSU right now. Oh, the same things would happen last year. <laughs> I mean, really, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of where I'm at right now is it's like, yeah, I mean, if they want to be competent in SEC play, there's just no way they're going to be able to not run the ball. So, like, I'm there with Max Johnson. I'm just like, dude, I know it sucks. You probably need to make some stuff happen with your legs because if he can start doing that, it's going to create. I mean, they can't drop nine in the coverage. You know what I'm saying? You got to. We have to have some type of threat of ground game because let's say that we just had Joe Burrow, right? This ground game wouldn't be a problem. It's the fact that, and it, that doesn't make it Max Johnson's fault, but it's the fact that Max Johnson is young, he's inexperienced, he's the whole load of the offense is being put on him, and it's just I feel for the kid, man. And so yeah, I mean, watching this game, it's just. You start to wonder about Coach O. You start to wonder about Jake Peets, the play calling. I mean, those timeouts, bro, he was chugging those things. <laughs> he was eating those timeouts. Uh, yeah, I, I don't the know question. what kind of the plan was there. Coach O has done that since, I want to say about 20, well, Matt Canada ate a bunch of timeouts too. So pretty much Coach O's whole tenure, he's had a very adverse relationship with timeouts. And at the end of the game, you knew when they were going down the field, it's like uh, they're not going to manage this drive well because you have this first-time play caller, they don't know what to do with timeouts. They can't really string a series of plays together that really mean anything. And so, yeah, I just I, I feel for some of the personnel that clearly wants to be there. Boutte is obviously a baller. Max Johnson, I feel like he's a great leader, but there's just not much for him to lead. So, yeah, I mean, exactly what you said is accurate. You know, they had this first half that I think was pretty solid, but they were settling for field goals. And that second half, whenever Bo Nix ran in that touchdown, that game was over. You know what I'm saying? All it took was them getting a competent drive going. We're talking about an Auburn team that missed a field goal and had a field goal blocked. That's the thing. You could talk about how LSU sells for field goals and all this different stuff. Realistically, Auburn actually played a little bit better than it did in the stat sheet. And, and one more thing about Bo Nix, and I'll let you get back to it. Um, I don't really even think this is a prove-it game for Bo Nix, for me, personally, because this has been Bo Nix's brand since, what, the Oregon game that you guys were at. Like, it, it's... He is... Not great until it's money time. I don't really get it. He's like a college, like what Tim Tebow was in the NFL is what Bo Nix is in college. <laughs> is the best way wait, wait, wait. You said we were at the Oregon game. Will, we watched that together. We watched that on TV. Remember we, we watched collectively it collectively. <laughs> the Oregon game was a state of mind, Connor. No, you're right. We, we did. I got you. Wait, I got you. Oh, you were in town for, you were in town for a game. Which, which game was that? 
That was the Duke Bama game. That was the that was the opener of 2019. Oh. We, but we, we watched we watched all those games together that night. Remember? Of that course, was, the Duke Bama game. Well, how could I forget? Yeah, you're you're right. You're right. I was about to say I like have vivid memories of that game. I was like I wasn't at that game. Anyway, yes, from that game, he's had the same brand. That was like okay, he looks not great, not great. Oh my god, that's the best quarterback I've ever seen in my life. And so, and LSU having a soft. Sorry defense in these big moments that's like, eh, I don't want to throw my body at you. I don't want to hit you hard. I don't want to do this stuff. It's like, well, yeah, if you let Bo Nix play. Somebody, I think John Boyce had a tweet that was like, Bo Nix is required to explore the entire backfield like a game of Zelda. <laughs> it's like, it was remarkable watching him slip away. And LSU is going to have a rough time looking at that film because they had him dead to rights. Yep. So many different times and not having Derek Stingley. I don't think that you can just chalk this up to that no, at no. all. I, I don't think LSU fans are doing that at all. But this is this is going to get really interesting for Ed Odron. And because the next five games, you are at Kentucky, you're home against Florida, you're at Ole Miss, you're at Alabama, you're home against Arkansas. Those teams right now, regardless of kind of like, all right, you know, what did Florida do over the weekend? What did Arkansas do? Ole Miss, you know, they all, they all lost. They all kind of struggled. They're still a combined 20 and four. There's, there's not a get right game in that group. This LSU team is going to be lucky to go 3 and 2 in that stretch. I mean, th- this is more like a 7 and 5 team right now that we're looking at with that second loss and with just not a whole lot of daylight and I, I do worry now long term about this team. LSU hasn't done enough to really change its overall identity and think about this. So Ed Odron, Dan Mullen, Jimbo Fisher they are now three of the top five highest-paid coaches in college football. Mm-hmm. All three of them lost on Saturday as favorites to non-top 15 teams. Two of those were to unranked teams, and then LSU lost to an Auburn team that, quite frankly, shouldn't have been ranked, but it still was. Yeah, somehow Auburn was the highest-ranked among those teams. <laughs> yeah. Nick Saban has not lost to a non-top top 15 team since 2010. Mm-hmm. And those three coaches are all now kind of in that Saban stratosphere money-wise. And when you suffer that second loss, which all three of those teams did, we're going to look at that number that you are paid and say, wow, you are not on the level of Kirby. You are not on the level level of Saban. It's not just good enough to say, well, you know, this, this team is five-star recruits. That team is five-star recruits. There were in-game decisions that cost all of those teams a chance to win and a chance to keep their seasons, their division title hopes alive. And now all three of those teams, their hopes are dashed in that area. And at Odron, it depends how ugly it's going to get. Because as we've talked about many a time, you can't have back-to-back seasons like that in Baton Rouge. It just doesn't happen. So I don't know what happens moving forward. I don't know where they turn to. I don't know. Corey Conner looks, looks all right. But... I don't think that's necessarily the answer for the ground game at this point. It's going to get ugly. The thing about the coach thing is, like, I'm at this point where, first off, first off, you know, that's kind of growing up and being jaded to me because that was a really classic lsu Auburn game. Just just to take a step back, that was a really fun game. That was a game that if I was young, if I was 14, 15, I would have been like, man, you know, that was heartbreaking, but I really had a good time. And, you know, as you grow up, you start to understand, you know, salaries and things like that. But I, I would say overall, it's like, I, I, I didn't have a great time watching that game necessarily, but I think it was a great game. And I think that... Ultimately, you know, with the Coach O thing, you've seen Scott Woodward bring in, you know, the best hires available in baseball, women's basketball. LSU's going to be fine at the end of the day. I, I think that either 
you know, we're going to have this stretch. That's going to be earn it time for Coach O. There's going to be no excuses after that. You know, uh, based on what we've seen out of them not being able to manage timeouts or get play calls in, probably not looking very optimistic. But at the end of the day, like I said, not going to do the, the sky is falling thing because this is the SEC. You know, um, Brian Harson obviously was brought in to, you know, do to do a job. Mike Bobo has been around forever. Their defense, they're, they have lots of long-time assistance. And that wasn't... You know, as they struggled last week. I understand that, but it's not like there are really any gimme games in the SEC West, period. So I'll say this. Like I said, it's like if you're an LSU fan, the rest of this season is just let it ride. You're still still living off the fun of 2019. Joe Burrow's having a great season in Cincy. And you just know at the end of the season, whoever is out there, we might go get Hugh Freeze out of retirement. I don't know. But if Coach O isn't still here, Scott Woodward's going to make it right. So we're vibing. I love the, the spin zone. <laughs> kind of need I mean, that. It can't After listen. If I gotta get on here and talk about it every week, I can't be depressed. You know what I'm saying? I gotta be positive because nobody wants to press Will talking about football. That's whack. Right. Brian Arson gets the Gatorade bath. Auburn. <laughs> I don't think Auburn got did Auburn get to do the cigars? I don't know if they got to do that if they got to, to, to pull that off like they did back in ninety nine. Shout out to Cole Kubelik, uh the, the the picture that he tweeted out. Great win for Auburn though. Great win to be able to steady the ship after things could have gone south in a hurry. The team that Auburn will be facing next week, Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia just dismantled Arkansas. So, Will, what if I had told you that going into Saturday, I said, JT Daniels isn't going to play. Stetson Bennett's going to complete seven passes. You're only, you, this is going to be your favorite part. Your only Georgia receiver with multiple catches is Lad McConkey. The Lad! Lad. Your team's not going to have a rushing play of more than 25 yards. Good luck. Go beat a top 10 team. How would Georgia fans have felt? Because I guarantee you they would not have predicted a 37 to nothing victory. But that's what happened. And this was over from the jump. The first quarter script kind of followed what we were talking about in the preview pod, mm-hmm. where Arkansas just gets punched in the mouth. And it looks like the odds of getting into the red zone against that Georgia defense are second to none. And Georgia just comes out from, from the get-go and makes it feel like, hey, we're not AM, we're not Texas. We're going to treat you a little bit, a little bit differently than those two teams did. It felt like Arkansas was trying to scale a 50-foot wall. <laughs> they had a, a punt blocked in their own end zone. About three different guys on Georgia could have blocked it. I don't know why Arkansas does that that shift left. I've noticed that this year. And some teams do this, and there's there's a reason for it. I know it's protection-based, but then when you see a punt get blocked, you're kind of like, well, that's that's a weird move. KJ Jefferson wasn't particularly mobile. It hurt them. It, it wasn't the difference in that game, of course. But game flow just did not work in Arkansas's favor. And for the first time on the road this year, they in a true road game, they really struggled. And it was a reminder that, as we say each and every week, Georgia defense is nasty. Nicobe Dean, he basically sacked KJ Jefferson every time that he dropped back, or at least it felt like it. Good for us for not jinxing Nicobe Dean. Big, SDS big podcast, cat on the blessing, back. not curse. Exactly. Some people were saying after Blaze Aldridge got trucked by Will Levis that, oh, we were jinxes and... No, not at all. And we didn't jinx Grant Morgan, who didn't necessarily play poorly. And the Arkansas defense, I actually thought, kind of held its own. That game probably could have been a little bit more lopsided. I saw, you know, Ty Richardson, my my guy, my Arkansas guy, was saying how this could have been a lot uglier. And if Kirby wanted to run it up on Pittman, he could have. 
but that didn't necessarily happen. Georgia still wins this convincingly, even with JT Daniels on the bench. Georgia allowed 75 rushing yards on 29 carries against that dominant Arkansas ground attack. It was so one-sided. It really was. Georgia's defense pitched its second consecutive shutout, obviously, this game in the bandy game, in five games against FPS defenses this year. They allowed one offensive touchdown, 300 minutes of football, and it was up 40-6 to in the fourth quarter against South Carolina. So anybody that keeps saying, oh, you know, wait and see about this Georgia defense, wait and see, just, just watch them. Just watch them and tell me if you really feel that way. Because, yeah, Clemson, the offense is not good at all. But Georgia is so suffocating that we're going to run out of things to say about that. I feel like we've already run out of things to say about them. When Devontae Wyatt is, is bringing guys down on a three-man rush like that, you have no chance. Oh, you they just, were horrifying. You just don't. And, like, I'll say this real quick. It was, we, we talked about this during when we watched the game, but it's like, you know, they tried to run the ball. That didn't work because they have, like, this terrifying front. And then they started trying these swing passes. And it was like they would throw a swing pass, and it would be like, that, that video from the NBA where all the Phoenix Suns players started moving at the same time, like, dude would catch the ball in space, and suddenly the whole defense would just swarm like bees and just blow this thing up behind the line of scrimmage. And we were just talking about it. It's like, well, it's like, is it worse to just run up the middle or to just try that? Because it's not going to work. And it's just, yeah, like, it's so crazy to think, okay, option one doesn't work. Okay, option two, wow, that's even worse. Option three, I guess, is take a sack. <laughs> that defense yes. is special, man. <laughs> They're now at the point where when somebody actually does a play that works against the Georgia defense, and I think the only play that's kind of worked is Josh Van getting one-on-one coverage, press down the field, and whatever South Carolina's front finally held for enough time to be able to make a downfield pass. When someone actually gets a chunk play against Georgia or like strings multiple touchdown drives together, we're going to look at it as like this great blueprint all of a sudden, but there's nothing there's no blueprint for how to beat this team. You throw a swing pass, it's a four-yard loss. You try and run it up the middle, congratulations, your line's getting pushed back, you're gonna be behind the sticks. You try and throw over the middle, great, your quarterback's gonna get killed, your receiver's probably gonna get killed as well. We talked all offseason about, well, what about this secondary, what about this, what about... Doesn't matter, just yep. doesn't, not yet at least. And I don't know if that matchup is gonna to continue to be lopsided because I thought Georgia's offensive or de- defensive line against that Arkansas front was gonna be a little bit closer. And I thought Arkansas was gonna be able to make some plays in this. Did not happen. It just didn't. And it was a rough go. And I don't know what it's going to be moving forward against this Georgia defense because you look at the schedule and it's at Auburn, home against Kentucky, bye week cocktail party. Three teams who Theoretically, you would say, all right, you should have a chance to score against Georgia, but do you? I would. So I look at those three games at Auburn, home against Kentucky, and then Florida and Jacksonville. I'll set the over-under at three and a half offensive touchdowns allowed. Will, would you take the over-under for that? Let's see. Oof. That's a good one, man. Three and a half. I mean... I feel like I have the, to the go. The fact over. that you're thinking about it this much says everything. Yeah, no, because it's like if you thought about Arkansas again, Clemson, it's like how many would those have? Easily four or five. Nope, zero. Goose it. I don't know how you score against this team, and maybe somebody's going to figure it out. I'm not seeing it though. I'm just not. By the way, Arkansas isn't a fraud. 
Well, right. I'll, I'll say this because I, I know there are a lot of Arkansas fans who probably saw the gap between being a, a, a really solid football team and being an elite football team. That's kind of what Saturday was. It was Georgia and Bama reminding the rest of the college football world that even if you're a top 15 team, it doesn't necessarily mean you are ready to compete at that level. Wasn't the best day for the idea of the 12-team playoff, in my opinion, because when you see two teams dominate like that, you're like, look, just give us the BCS. Just let Bama and Georgia play for a national championship and well, whatever. That, that's fine. We'll, we'll get to that debate in a second here when we talk about Bama. But for Arkansas, the 4-0 start was earned and the offense is going to have better days even though it wasn't a banner day by any stretch on the field off the field Traylon Smith got cold taked for the crying laughing emojis when Nolan Smith the Georgia linebacker had the comment about not caring if they're facing the New England Patriots nobody gets into their end zone tough look he got dragged Traylon Smith got dragged a little bit uh, for that for uh, the crying laughing emojis this was more about Georgia to me than it was about Arkansas Arkansas was not winning an SEC championship this year. Not, right. not, not going to be able to, to, to make it to Atlanta. Saturday was a reminder of that. Can they still have a really good season? Do they still have New Year's Six Bowl upside? I think so. they got to figure some things out in the passing game, though, because you can't have Traylon Burks only getting 10, 10 yards on three catches. That almost catch that he made, that might have been the highlight of the day for Arkansas. I mean, it probably was. Kind of was. Of yeah, I don't know. What else. It was ugly. Yeah. yeah, so that tells you everything you need to know about that. Another blowout. Unfortunately, Alabama dumped a whole lot of popcorn on Ole Miss. It was statement Saturday for Alabama and Georgia. And, Will, I was saying to you how crazy it is that both of the spreads for that for Ole Miss-Bama and then for Arkansas-Georgia were more than two touchdowns, even though it was a matchup of top 15 teams. Meanwhile, in the NFL, the Texans and Bills, it's like a 16-point spread, I think, and people freak out whenever that happens. They're like, 16 points, oh my gosh, that's so much. Yeah. We saw the gap. The gap was very evident. And go figure that we saw the gap in throwback Alabama fashion. Lane said before the game, get your popcorn ready. He tosses the headset. If Ole Miss wins that football game, I know it didn't, didn't come close or anything like that, but that is an iconic college football moment. Call my shot. And that is exactly what Lane intended for it to be. If you don't think that was premeditated, if you don't think he thought to himself, hey, you know what would be really cool right now? If I sort of called my shot in a not-so-direct way right before this game, toss the headset, that, that gift would get replayed forever ever if Ole Miss won that football game. But it wasn't even close. All Saban did was deliver one of the more impressive defensive performances that I've seen in recent memory. And consider what that game meant for Ole Miss. Number one offense college football coming into it. You knew that Kiffin and Levy had a ton of prep for it. You had the bye week. You had the Heisman Trophy favorite feeling really confident. You had the possibility of maybe being the first Saban Saban disciple to beat the master. And then Alabama did that. It was an incredible defensive performance. The, the final number, 21, that's not really going to show you how good it was mm-hmm. because it's all relative to competition. Doing what they did to Ole Miss, which had just gotten anything that it wanted. And when you don't have Jonathan Mingo, I don't know how much that really played a part in this because Bama wins that game regardless of whether or not the Ole Miss receiver is healthy. The, the key play of the game, in my opinion, as weird as it is to say, that first fourth down stop was massive, where you had Ole Miss kind of 
doing what we expected on that opening drive. Convert two fourth downs, and then on the third one, you go for it, you try and run the football, and you had Smith get that push up front, and all of a sudden, Bama gets this massive defensive lift, and I don't know if it's a different game. I, I think it is a different game. You know what? I think it's a different game if Kiffin had converted one of those. We could be talking about how incredible of an offensive mind it was, but key, key instance. Yeah, um, I've always said I wanted some, like, just football coach to coach the way I play Madden. Lane Kevin's that, man. He really is. You just, you love to see it. Because they went for that one, got stuffed, and then they went for a second one and missed that one too. And it was like, are they going to do this again? <laughs> it's like, because at the end of the day, you got to trust your guys. You know, you love the decision to go for it, right? You love the decision to just, go, like, okay, like, boom, sure. we're here. Like, and like, that shouldn't be reprimanded. It shouldn't be like that was a bad decision either time. But it was just super funny, like, in college football, because it's so old school. It's so, like, you punt, you get the points where you can have them. And it's like, nope, didn't get that one. Didn't get the next one. All right, we're still going, boys. And, like, I just love Lane Kevin. I don't, you know, this didn't really. It didn't really change my opinion of him. It's just I love that in that environment, he was just so aggressive about everything, even though it didn't pay off. You kind of had to be, too. And we're going to play the results yeah. with that. And if there are Ole Miss fans saying we didn't like how aggressive Kiffin was. Well, don't fire Lane Kiffin if you don't like aggressiveness, because that's Lane Kiffin. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah, go hire. That, that's what he's going to do. Go hire Matt Luke. I don't know what to tell you. You want to play the field position game against Bama? All right, go ahead. Attempt that. See how that works. They needed a spark, and they were they were desperate for for anything. Instead, this instead of this being uh, a hey we've arrived game for Ole Miss, it was almost like Saban turned back the clocks, and it was 2012 yep. Bama. It was oh crap, we can't run the football against this defense. Less than three yards per carry for an Ole Miss offense that came into that game as the number two non-service academy rushing offense, Florida being number one. Kentucky held Florida 150 rushing yards less than their season average, which is pretty good. I should have mentioned dope. that before. Hang the banner. Hang up the banner. <laughs> Total yards banners, their thing. I thought Henry Toto, who I criticized a lot for that Florida game, I thought he missed tackles left and right. He was excellent in that game against Ole Miss. Will Anderson, Jordan Battle. Jordan Battle was everywhere. Christian Harris, he had Mathis as well getting pushed up front. That was a vintage Alabama defensive performance. Only one pass play allowed of more than 30 yards. Think about that game last year, where if we're on the subject of total yards, Dan Mullen, that game last year that set the SEC record for total yards in a game. And this year, Alabama didn't even need the chunk plays. Mm-hmm. Alabama did not have a play of 30-plus yards again. We talked about that against Florida, about how that, haven't, that hadn't happened since 2018 against Mississippi State. And again, Bama didn't get this long touchdown from Jameson Williams. Yeah, he found Bryce Young found John Mechie in the end zone and, and made a couple of nice plays stepping up in the pocket. But, man, I, I, thought, I thought Bryce Young played well, mostly played well. He had the one interception in the red zone where he kind of did that peak Bryce Young thing where he steps up in the pocket and you just kind of assume it's going to be a touchdown. Good read by the Ole Miss defense, who played better. <laughs> Ole Miss defense actually looks all right. And if I'm an Ole Miss fan, I'm actually pretty encouraged by what I saw defensively, even though Bama put up 42. But why didn't Bama need those chunk plays? Brian Robinson looked like Eddie Lacy. You could not bring that man down. Career day for him, 171 on the ground. He had more yards after first contact, 85 than his previous single game high of 78 rushing yards. He was awesome. He was so, so good. He looked like hell 
to try and bring down. And Bama needed that because when those chunk plays aren't going to be there, and Jason McClellan, who is, it looks like he's going to be out for, for a bit here for Alabama, and he had been get, getting off to a really nice start. It's going to be Roy Dell Williams' time. Bama needed that presence, that in-between-the-tackles, smash-mouth football. We're going to show you how talented we are. We're going to show you that we, we can beat you in more ways than what you currently think of us. And we questioned that after Florida. We said, look, Bama got beat in the trenches. This does not feel like what we've come to expect from a Nick Saban coach team. And I'm going to tip my, hat, tip my cap to Bill O'Brien because he out-schemed <laughs> Kiffin and Levy. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are, Connor. This is exactly the moment. We thought, how is this going to go? We're going to be about midway through the season. We're going to be thinking, dang, Bill O'Brien's really putting one together. And here we are. <laughs> he, you know what? You, you, you have to give him credit for adjusting and for that entire coaching staff. And we said after the Florida game, there's nobody that is better at making these in-season adjustments than Nick Saban. Saturday was a good indicator of, of that. And we... I don't know if that was necessarily even Bama's potential because they didn't have the chunk plays and they, they couldn't necessarily turn to it. And there was there were moments when you thought this this is just unfair, but it wasn't unfair in the same way that we've seen at Bama 2018, 2019, and 2020. So now the question, of course, who is the best team in America? Is it Bama? Is it Georgia? Is it Cincinnati? No, I'm kidding. But shout out Cincinnati. Lock of the week, Cincinnati goes on the road, beats Notre Dame, just like I told you. I've been saying that since the summer. But who wins in a game tomorrow, Will? Bama or Georgia? Man. <laughs> I mean, in, in the preview pod, I said, I'm going to look like Boo Boo the Fool if I pick Ole Miss. And boy, would I have. Luckily, I didn't. That's what happens when you crawfish. Um, yeah, I mean... I don't know, man. I, I feel like we still have to see Georgia put its offense together, which is ridiculous to say because they haven't even needed an offense so far. I, I still want to see it. I still want to see a couple more things out of Georgia's offense. I want to see um, I want to see Daniels like at really get some time with the wide receivers and like have that side because you know say what you will about you know O'Brien and Bryce Young like not having experience, but they're not going to like they will allow a touchdown whenever they play Alabama. I feel like that's a pretty pretty safe like that game script will not be we put you in the dirt the way they have everybody else. So I don't know. I think that obviously Bama struggled with Florida. Um, right now, if they played, well, see, JT's not healthy right now. Right now, if they played for that reason, I'd probably take Alabama. But you know, if we're looking forward to the SC championship game, which I think is totally fair given what's happening with Florida. I, I don't know. I'd say it's, it's a pick-up, man. This is, it, it's crazy that this is the most Kirby Smart team of all time. Like, the whole thing was like, oh, they need to figure out the offense. They need to, like, do X, Y, Z. It's like, no, no, they just got way better on defense and their offensive line and their defensive line. Like, this is a Kirby team. It's like, so far, it's just me or you could be playing quarterback for them. We could get seven wobbly passes out of there, hand it off 30 times, and win by 20. <laughs> Remember the middle of the game? I looked at you. It was 27 to nothing. Georgia was winning. And I, I asked you and Brady, I said, trivia question, how many passes do you think that Stetson Bennett has completed despite the fact that Georgia is up 27 to nothing? And you guys both said, oh, about eight? He was four of seven. Yep. And they were up 27 to nothing. We have not seen a Georgia get pushed in the way where we've really had to see the, the, the aerial attack. And you could say, well, what about Clemson? That was a really close game. But the entire identity of that offense that day was going to be get rid of the football, protect JT Daniels. We, we found out he was working through the oblique injury. He had, now he's got the lat injury. 
There's going to be a lot of time for Georgia to figure out who it is offensively if the defense is going to give them a head start like that. And so for if you're Todd Munkin, you can sort of keep adding things to it. And there are going to be things on film that Bama will see Georgia do over the course of the year if and when JT Daniels is going to get healthy that they'll be able to adjust to. Like we saw that little play against Arkansas where credit Barry Odom, he had it totally snuffed out because, and I pointed this out to you, they tried to do, Georgia tried to do that same play where they do the fake pitch to James Cook in the backfield. And then they try and hit Bowers on this like little, like little tight end wheel route. And it wasn't there this time. Arkansas had it snuffed out. Mm -hmm. And so how many of those instances are we really going to see though? Because if the offense looks different with Stetson Bennett and a quarterback, which it does, it's going to look different than what it looks like with JT Daniels. What do, do we know everything about Georgia's offense yet? Because I, I just don't think that we do. And if they're going to keep adding, you know, Darnell Washington's going to get healthier. George Pickens is going to get healthier. Kyrus Jackson gets healthier. Like, if all these things continue to get added for Georgia, I, I right now would take Georgia it, to win the SEC championship. To win a game tomorrow if JT Daniels isn't healthy, obviously I'm taking Bama. I'm taking Bama to win that football game. But it's all of a sudden a very intriguing question because of the upside of these programs that we saw against top 15 teams on Saturday. What if they just do the reverse Lane Kiffin where they never open up their offense and they just keep slugging teams in the mouth? Then they get to the SC Championship and it's like five wide. And it's like, what is this? I wouldn't rule it out. I really, I really wouldn't. And I, I like the versatility that Georgia has right now. And if Zamir White's going to look that good, I don't know how Zamir White, Zamir White that and Brian play, Robinson, oh my God, bro. Unreal. When we, when we talk about what makes running backs different and why certain running backs get, get opportunities. And it's not, I, I don't really like the, this belief that it's like, oh, you know, you're just a system guy or whatever. You see the balance from guys like Brian Robinson and Zamir White where they should go down on these plays. They just should. Their knees are not meant to be able to withstand that kind of pressure and balance. And both of them had instances where they get into the end zone and you're just tipping your captain. And it was, uh, I think it was Damian Pierce had a run like that a, a couple weeks ago against Bama, where you're just reminded of how special these guys are and they'll do whatever it takes to get across, get across the goal line. I, 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 was, I was blown away really by both those backs. I think you missed this. Whatever that happened, Brady looked at us. He's a UCF fan, and he goes, "You know, you guys might have a point about this recruiting." Thing. <laughs> he goes, "I yep. think this might matter. Those stars, they might be doing something for this guy." They might. They might. Those stars did not do anything for Texas A&M. Let's do one thing. Sure I Sure did. Mississippi State. Mississippi State goes on the road, wins in College Station, and I definitely didn't like A&M's offense. That's not the one thing I like. I'll get to that in a minute. How about Will Rogers playing on the road that well? Threw for over 400 yards. That was the number one pass defense in America about nine days ago, A&M was. Rogers and Makai Polk, the Cal transfer, have this nice little connection that's really developing. Rogers did not have a pick in this one. He did not get greedy. He didn't take those horrendous sacks. There was this one that he took in the fourth quarter or was on a three-man rush, but he really had no chance whatsoever. MSU had this awful sequence where it was like a delay of game. They moved the kick back. They missed the kick. AM had a chance to score late. And instead, AM drives stalls in the red zone. They settle for a field goal. Then the only other chance. Zach Calzada gets taken down for a safety, tries to throw it behind his back, do his best Max Johnson imitation, doesn't work. I want to give Will Rogers and Mike Leach some credit. That is how you stop a two-game losing streak. You don't get greedy, you take what's given, and it worked. We're starting to see the air raid come together, and as weird as this season has been for Mississippi State, 
Will Rogers is looking like the guy you kind of hoped he would be. And he knows now the limitations of this, and he saw it work like that against a really good AM defense. It is. Regardless of what happened at the quarterback position for AM, that is a solid defense. So I'm going to give credit to Mississippi State. But on the AM side, Zach Calzada is not it. He's not. Close competition. And I know. Though. People forget. That's part of the problem. <laughs> the true freshman, Eli Stowers, 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 I'm not sure how to pronounce it just yet. Probably won't learn how to pronounce it because he's splitting reps at tight end. That's your situation at quarterback. Splitting reps at tight end. So you can't even really turn to him. You're going to turn to him for his first career start at Bama? Don't really think you can do that. This is year three in the system for Zach Calzada. So everybody's saying, oh, you got to give the guy a little bit more time. And I don't think AM fans are saying that anymore. Jimbo's saying that. Jimbo's the one who keeps coming to his defense. He essentially has three full games against Power 5 competition, and AM has four total touchdowns. He threw a pick on his first pass of the game there. He had a fumble in the red zone, and AM's offense, which ran the ball better, that's the crushing thing. A chain spiller, they look good. <laughs> it still was never going to put together that late drive, and that's a problem when you just know that. They finally get Jalen Weiermeyer in the end zone. It was a nice throw from Calzada to, to be able to get on the board early in that game, but. I just look at this team, this AM team, and it frustrates the hell out of me because this is such a wasted opportunity for Jimbo Fisher. You're 0-2 in SEC play. You're now, remember how we said Mississippi State is the worst team in the West. Congratulations, AM. By losing to Mississippi State at home, you are now the worst team in the SEC West. You have your best defense that you've had in four years there if you're Jimbo Fisher. You've got a defensive coordinator who very well could be on the move at season's end. Mike Elko is worthy of that next opportunity. You've been able to keep your coordinators on staff, so there's no excuse there. You've got your best backfield, your best group of pass catchers that you've had since you've been in College Station, but it doesn't matter because your quarterback situation's a mess. And that's that, that has to come back to Jimbo. It comes back to Zach Calzada as well, and I'm kind of realizing that the Zach Calzada situation is one of, one of the things that I hate about recruiting because he was one of these guys who really rose late and he balled out at Elite 11 and everybody was talking about how A&M really got this diamond in the rough because he was only a three-star and he wasn't a consensus four-star. Buddy, we see the rough. It is rough. You're right. It's not there. It's just not. And I don't mean to bail on somebody this soon, but how many times do we need to see it? Before And he had the nice run for a touchdown where you kind of see some of that mobility. Would maybe nice to see some of that more often. But then again, you kind of can't because your depth really isn't there at quarterback. This is bad. And I can't believe that it's this bad this soon because now Bama comes to town. A&M ain't beating Bama. Bama's going to feast on that offense. And I don't care if, I don't care if Kyle Field falls to the ground with how electric that atmosphere is on October 9th. It's not going to matter. If Zach Calzada is not going to make those throws, if that offensive line isn't going to be able to protect for four quarters, you don't have a chance. You just don't. And I don't know so much that this is totally an indictment on Calzada because I think part of this has to come back to Jimbo if you're making $9 million a year, and I've said that before. How about maybe maybe give uh, give Kellen Mond a little bit of credit because right now A&M... A&M's maybe undefeated if they have Kellen Mond at quarterback. I'll say it. I think they go into this Bama game undefeated. I think it's just different. And when you can't do the things that Jimbo asks you to do, sorry, you're, you're, you are a very average at best team. And that's what A&M is right now. I, I hate to be this guy, but are we about to do the 
like Jimbo Fisher without Jameis Winston thing because it's starting to kind of starting to kind of line up in that way. You know what I'm saying? Eh, EJ Manuel's a good quarterback. Christian Ponder. People always say, oh yeah, he turned him into a first rounder or somehow, some way. Kellen Mond had his moments and Kellen Mond really developed, so he's not going to get that. But Jimbo doesn't. Like I said, Jimbo doesn't troubleshoot. No, but I'm saying <laughs> this like, can't be DeAndre Jameis, Francois all over again. When he had Jameis, Jameis was so good. It was like Burrow. It was like, okay, well, you don't need to troubleshoot. He can just get you out of all these situations. And now it's like, you need that level of quarterback to have that level of coach, basically. I don't know what Jimbo does from here. <laughs> I, it feels... They, they, they tried to even run the ball more, too, to their credit, and it still didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And A&M fans walk away from that one just being like, crap, what are we? We're a top five team a few weeks ago. And this is how quickly this can turn. And the West, it's just not those gimme games. Even a home game against Mississippi State, not a gimme team. Doesn't even matter that you've got top 10 talent in the country. Some questions will be asked about Jimbo Fisher moving forward. Tennessee, Mizzou. The one thing I liked, we knew it. Tennessee ground game. Mm -hmm. Tyon Evans said that they were going to have some fun, and boy, did they. (laughs) They had nearly 300 rushing yards in the first half. Mizzou was a train wreck defensively. We highlighted that coming in. This is not working for Steve Wilkes right now. I hope Steve Wilkes didn't search his name on Twitter because it was ugly, real ugly. He's going to be one and done if he doesn't find some answers in a hurry because that is three power five offenses who have just totally gashed Mizzou. And it's not like I, any of those teams were Georgia or Alabama. You know, we're talking about Tennessee, Boston College, and Kentucky. If you're getting else? gashed that badly, sorry. I don't know where your answers are coming from. You can't even say your entire team is banged up or something like that. Eli Drinkwood said he's going to be patient. He's going to give them time. It's a new scheme. Nope. This is, this is turning bad in a hurry. And it's going to come back to Eli Drinkwood. It's a guy who looked like he had a lot of year two momentum. Talked about how great it was at SEC Media Days to kind of see him with a little bit of this chip on his shoulder. And he looks all of a sudden like he has a, a bottom feeder team in the SEC East, and that is not not a great place to be. Good for Tennessee. Offensive performances like that in an SEC road game, pretty rare for Tennessee in recent memory. (laughs) Not exactly something we've grown accustomed to seeing. I hope Jabari Small is healthy. He was banged up in this one. Good for Josh Heupel for starting Hendon Hooker and not Joe Milton. Yeah. That's why the pick the pick counts because Tennessee did not bring out Joe Milton didn't have to call an audible on that one. Does this change anything about Tennessee? Not really for me. I thought that they could do that against Mizzou. I thought they were going to be able to have success running the football, which that's that's not really a bold prediction at this point. It's probably not necessarily uh, all of a sudden an eight and four team. Tennessee is going to be a consider, considerable underdog at at least three more games because they still have Georgia, they still have Bama, they still have Ole Miss. So I'm not all of a sudden saying, oh, is Tennessee going to be frisky in this division? They took advantage of a very, very favorable matchup on the road. And credit to them, they looked the part, they stuck with the game plan. Hendon Hooker needs to be the guy moving forward. I don't know how many times I have to say it, but if there's any consideration with Josh Heupel, that needs to be a thing of the past. Do we want to talk about the game of the week? Of course. You want to do this? You have to do this. UConn and Vandy. I am so glad that halftime of the Tiger Bowl took us to UConn and Vandy in the final like three minutes. It was the mm-hmm. only SEC game on at that point. So if you weren't watching this one, you had no excuse. 
all of my attention went to that. It wasn't just like, oh, you know, you got one game streaming and one game with the volume on, one game that's that doesn't have volume. You were locked I into some UConn van, dude. <laughs> dude. Watched UConn erase that two-score deficit in the fourth quarter, and UConn goes ahead with a minute left. If you didn't see the way that this happened, it was so perfect. Fourth and 18, UConn's quarterback drops back, and he throws this fluttering Hail Mary. It looks like he's being hit on his throwing arm as he's, you know, as he's letting go of the ball. And Vandy's two defenders basically cancel each other out. And instead of batting the ball down, they tip it up in the air. And the UConn receiver comes down with it on fourth and 18. And this quarterback, he just threw this sucker up for grabs. This was not the way it was drawn up. And then UConn's quarterback, who runs maybe like a 5-3-40 at best, and that's being generous. This dude lumbers in for a touchdown, go-ahead touchdown, but never fear because Ken Seals is here. He leads the game-winning touchdown drive, or not game-winning touchdown drive, but game-winning field goal drive. The best part about this drive wasn't that Ken Seals converted on fourth down and that he made some big-time throws to be able to set up this field goal. UConn's coach called three timeouts to try and ice Bandy at the end. Anti-Coach O. Love it. Just listen. Hey, you got to save those timeouts for a rainy day, son. You might need to triple ice the kicker. And it was a rainy day in Nashville. They showed there were there were a couple of these shots where there were dollar seats for this game too, as well, which was just so perfect. This this they would show these these people who were just getting drenched in the rain, and they had to be thinking to themselves, "Did I really not have anything to do on a Saturday night besides come to this football game?" But Godspeed to those those people who stuck it out. Vandy's home losing streak ends at eight. They kept showing the graphic about how. UConn's got this losing streak and Vandy's got this losing streak and something's got to give. They knew. They knew what we were watching for and it was great. Vandy gets its first home win in the 2020s. Good for Clark Lee and now you get a pissed off Florida team and you might not win a game for the rest of the season. But good for Vandy. All right. They earned their jerseys today. They did. You know what? They earned they they earned the name, they earned the numbers, they earned the decal on the helmets. Everything. They earned the post-game meal that they probably got. Hopefully they got some Hattie B's or something like that. I had some hot chicken this weekend. Was thinking about a little bit of hot chicken. Mentioned Hattie B's a couple times. If you're a Vandy player and you get Hattie B's after a game, win or lose, you know, got to be able to sell that in recruiting. Shout out to Chris Wright. Big time Hattie B's advocate. One last thing I wanted to bring up with South Carolina. Will, this was ugly. This was like the worst possible play that you see in a football game happen way too much. And as any South Carolina fan knows, look, the one thing I liked wasn't necessarily that South Carolina had like the most embarrassing football play of the weekend in case you missed it. Jamar Brown, um, scoop and score that should have been there. It was actually like a double scoop off of this sack and should have been a walk-in touchdown. And instead, he does the Deshaun Jackson flip the ball before he crosses the goal line, which the fact that that is still happening in the year 2021 is baffling. And South Carolina fans, every right to be frustrated with that. The good news for Jamar Brown, who somehow was surprised by the fact that they called his touchdown off and it ended up being a touchback and Troy got the ball back, 
And South Carolina won a football game. And South Carolina won a football game against a Troy team that kind of looked like it had its number for a little bit there. Big pick six at the end of the first half. And instead of a colossal mistake scarring what would have just been a really embarrassing loss, Shane Beamer won two games that if you had lost these two, it would have been a little bit tougher to gain support. And by those two, I mean Troy and East Carolina. Style points don't matter for South Carolina at this point. They just don't. And even though the ground game, it's still frustrating. And I thought Kevin Harris was going to get going in this one. It, it, it's it's going to be really tough sledding moving forward. And this offense has major issues. But at least that play did not cost you a chance. And like I said before, there is a realistic chance that South Carolina can go get to 5-2. and two. And of course, if you were going to get to 5-2, and two, you needed to win a game like this. Defense is playing well. Defense is playing really, really well, and that's the most encouraging thing from the South Carolina side is that your defense is able to overcome a very embarrassing play, a play that if you lose that football game, Shane Beamer's going viral for all the wrong reasons, and it's not just this cute, oh, Georgia's got 105 stars, and look at South Carolina, we can't compete with them. It's no, we're just undisciplined, and that was the exact type of thing that you were hoping would be corrected and not be a holdover from the Will Muschamp era, but Shane Beamer gets a Big time win at home. They're all big time wins at this point when you're year one head coach and you take over a two win team that was ranked, what, 125 out of 127 in percentage of returning production. So one thing I like, South Carolina able to come away with a victory against Troy. All right, well, you are the subject of today's It Might Mean Too Much because you, my friend, were that guy <laughs> sitting there at the wedding table. And it's, it's one of those things that you could say all the time, and I'm sure many people listening to this have said before, oh yeah, you know, I was checking in on a game while I was at a wedding, bandfall weddings, whatever the case. You were the guy who, if you see the picture where you're in the, you know, the reception hall and it's like dark and everybody's dancing and stuff like that, and the only light you see is your phone <laughs> streaming the Tiger Bowl, basically resting somewhere in the middle of that table just so that you could be able to to make sure that you didn't miss a moment of LSU doing something that it hasn't done in 22 years. Yes, yes. Uh, it was super funny. I like te- I texted this to you. I just sent you a picture with no context. And it was just dancing in the background, HD Max Johnson in the foreground. I'm staging a protest. <laughs> I was like, because like we thought we'd be out of there. Like I, we had talked to them. They're like I said, they were Auburn fans. I was like, hey, like I will be watching this LSU game. They're like, yeah, 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 no problem. And so it got to be, I'm saying like nine, nine fifteen, nine thirty. I was like, all right, I told you what this was going to be. <laughs> so to be fair, I wasn't that guy for very long. I, 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 well, I, you know, I danced. I did the whole thing. Like I, like you know, it was a great wedding overall. But you know, the wedding started. We were up there like two or three. So this was, it was really winding down by that point. It was like the last like two or three songs. I was like, all right, man, I got, I got to go watch Coach O blow this one. Let's go. Let's get out of here. What was the final song at, at the wedding? That's always one of my favorite things to see what, what they pick for the, the last, the last hurrah. I actually don't even recognize it, to be honest. They like hyped it up and I was like, what is this? It was cool though. It was like slower. Didn't you say the bride and groom had, uh, speaking of it might mean too much, the bride and groom had three war eagles in their vows? Yes, it was it was very cute. Uh, the uh, groom was an Ohio State fan, and the bride was an Auburn fan, and so they like talked about that in their vows. It was super sweet. And then mentally, I was like, ah, uh, they're gonna understand me watching this game in the background of the wedding. Love it. Of course, I'm sure they had no problem with that whatsoever. Will next week's gonna be a little bit different. I'm gonna be in Lexington. You will not be about to drive back 
seven hours to Atlanta. Um, but I would be in Lexington, still figuring out kind of what plans are going to be. No idea from from a content side what what exactly we're gonna we're gonna work out. Still still figuring some things out there. But um, fun weekend. Going to be really tough to to live up to the weekend that we just had in the SEC. Week five was great. If you have not. Leave us a five-star review, like, subscribe. Go subscribe to our newsletter, Saturday.Football. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored. Go subscribe to Saturday Lives Forever. Maurice Claret episode is out. Go do that wherever you get your podcasts. I know Matt Hayes has been crushing it. Join the Facebook group and hear your name read on air with Figuring It Out or Bowling Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.